Face to Face Games proudly presents Grand Prix Toronto, the first Grand Prix featuring the Hour of Devastation limited format, July 21st to 23rd. Come face pro players as they flex their muscles just one week before the Pro Tour. Every Grand Prix entry includes a sleep-in special and registered sealed pool for players with buys. Visit gptoronto2017.facetofacegames.com to register and learn more. So number 34 of First Strike, this is KYT, and I'm joined with Robert Lombardi, GP Toronto champion, hoping to repeat in just two weeks. we got Dagger 4 in the house, and uh, before I introduce our special guest, just want to mention our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles, and of course, they're also hosting GP Toronto in two weeks, gptoronto2017.com to meet all the hosts of First Strike. And not only that, you're going to get to meet our guest, Travis Semulin Sowers, someone that I've met a long time ago, a very, one of the most consistent streamers right now, has done a few streamer showdowns, was um, sadly left off um, a certain article for uh, <laughs> one of the top streamers of the week on Daily MTG, someone that was definitely... A snub, according to me, someone that I love, one of the kindest guys you'll ever meet. How's it going, Samuel? That's a hell of an introduction. Good <laughs> evening, gentlemen. Good to see you. Life is good. All right. We brought you in here because to do a little cross promotion. So check out Travis streams basically every weekday at twitch.tv slash And right now he's prepping. So this is relevant prepping for GP Toronto and doing a lot of sealing. These guys have done a bunch of pre releases. So Travis, is, let's start off with each of you on this question. What's the main thing that you're looking to do when you're first jumping into SEAL format? Or are you just playing and learning as you go, Travis? I, I think in this case, because we're on a second set, it's a little bit of a unique situation. And then it's a question of like, are some of the archetypes from the previous sealed still viable? So for me, one of the first things I looked through as I was doing the set review with Neil and then going over the cards again with Dave for, for Men for Moto. I wanted to see if that, you know, four or five color green deck is still there. We lost out on Gifts of Paradise, but with the uh, four mana two four that can exert for two colors of mana, we basically got that back at common. So like I, I wanted to see if that, that's still a valid archetype. And after a, a couple builds and plays, it seems like it's still there. I also want to pay attention to if a, an aggressive deck is viable in a sealed deck when it's typically not. I think, you know, normal sealed, like, X format, it's probably correct to be an aggro deck one out of ten times. I think in this one, it was probably correct two out of ten times. And I think it may actually have bumped up a little more just because there's so darn many two-drops running around uh, as, as we've added in these new sets. So those were all questions that I went into as I was doing builds and playing games. And I was fortunate enough on stream today to open up one of the five-color decks. So I, I can say for sure, if, if you've got the fixing and the reason, you can absolutely do that. And I did play against a bunch of aggro decks. I'm still questioning whether that's like normal or people are just building these and trying them out. Um, but th- those are the first things I want to look at is since it's a second set, is, is this still kind of the same as, as the base set we were playing before? 
So just gauging the speed and how it's changed with the new edition of, of Hour of Devastation. Uh, Rob, what do you think about this approach? Yeah, no, this is this is kind of you know the reasonable thing to do, especially given where we are in the format with a second set come along. Um, like Tra- Travis is bang on, yeah. See see what still works. See see what's different. Um, then at least you have a, a good baseline knowledge, right? And uh, I agree with this approach of, of trying to find out if an aggro deck exists or if a five color control deck exists, or you know, c- kind of what is the pace of the format and where do you like want to be ideally against what other people are doing. It is tough to take any real results um as canon at this point though because <laughs> everyone's kind of <laughs> just flailing their arms in the deep end uh trying to keep afloat um but yeah I, you know you, you really just want to see like what what cards are good what cards are working uh and, and what's not i mean i my opinion has changed a lot on a lot of stuff from just even last week when vince and i <laughs> made our top five so uh it's definitely helpful just to get a feel for it right once you're actually in the games uh, Vince, any, any other things that, that you're looking for when you first start? Yeah, I think one of the things, I think both of you made really good points, by the way, but one of the things that I, I try to do as well is get more exposure with the rares and mythics because you kind of don't get as many opportunities as you will over the period of a of a set to really play with those cards. So if I'm kind of on the fence between building a pool that might have more rares, especially at the beginning versus a pool that doesn't, I just want to see how those rares play in the sealed environment so that I know, you know, if I come to the GP and I have a pool that has a certain set of rares in it, I know how they're going to perform and whether or not they're living up to my expectations. Because hopefully, I mean, if you're going to run, let's say, five or six sealed tournaments before the GP, you're going to see basically every common and uncommon. Whereas with the rares, you're not going to get that level of exposure. So really try to prioritize seeing how the rares play. Even when you're playing against other people, just see how they perform so you can get an honest sort of personal evaluation for the entire set. Hmm. So Travis, after playing, how many seals did you play today? I did two leagues today. Um, I also built about five pools for practice while we were waiting for it to go live on Magic Online because the cards were there so I could import them and build. I just couldn't actually play with them. So we did, we did a bunch today and then I did a draft today as well. And then that's what I'm doing the rest of this week is probably three sealed leagues a day until GP Toronto. And are there any early lessons you've taken away from, from those early events? Take a moment, especially when you're getting in new cards and just starting things out and read the cards and make sure you understand them. Like I, I had a situation today where I had the, the two drop, I can't remember the name of it, but you can tap one, exert it and untap two lands. So I had that in play with two untapped lands after I'd put a spell on the stack and my opponent does the mana leak variant. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess you got me. Not noticing that I could have just exerted that, untapped the lands and had it. Now, part of that too is like being, you know, I'm interacting with chat and I'm talking to people and there was this guy in there like, hey, you want to come on a podcast tonight? (laughs) Read your cards and make sure you understand what all of them do. Like I've heard this said many times, like new players read cards, players who think they're good don't read cards, and then players who are actually very good read cards. <laughs> so as you're going through these initial ones, stop, read everything, and make sure you understand exactly what it does. In terms of speed, was there anything you learned that, that answered some of the questions you were asking when it came to, to speed and, and the archetypes today? As mentioned earlier, a lot of people are just flailing around. There's a lot of people that come out to play new sets that aren't looking to take it seriously. Right, like they just want to come in, play the new sealed format, and then they'll disappear. Like I'll still be grinding this, you know, and on the last day of the format. 
But as I mentioned, I saw a lot of kind of what I would label as bad aggro decks today. Right. And my guess is that's people that are transferring from having done a lot of drafts to like, I'll try a sealed. And they're like, okay, two drops are good in this format. I got some, let's play it. Whereas the, the sealed format in the past had very little to do with two drops. Like I wanted maybe two, two drops in, in my decks um, and, and not much more than that. It's like, we need some more time to see it. I, I think it's a lot of people jamming bad aggro decks when they shouldn't be. And then this really is just kind of an extension of what we saw for M and Cat sealed. But we'll, we'll know that a little more over time. Was there anything that you liked uh, doing though, like any combination or or thing that you were doing that, or this is too early for you? No, I I, I can say I really enjoyed the deck. I, I wish I could remember the names of the cards, but I'm just bumping bumping into them today. That had the two four that you can exert for two mana of any color. Like when when I got that four color green deck and just was like, okay, I'm gonna play all my rares. I'm gonna play all my removal, and I'm just gonna build it around this ten forest deck, and everything's gonna be fine. And it was. I mean, the only losses that deck had were to me screwing up, not to the deck going wrong. So, like, it was a lot of fun to see that that archetype is still viable. Because as I was going through the spoiler, I'm like, I think this is still here. And then, like I I mentioned, I built five or so pools and I didn't bump into one yet. So I was kind of concerned that it wasn't. And then naturally, the first one I opened, I'm like, oh, this is what we should be doing. And, like, that's why you practice these. So you can find weird archetypes like that so that when they show up, you're ready for them. But it looks like it's very early, but still, it looks like it's going to be slow, play powerful cards. Um, there's a question in chat, Travis, about the, the five-color green deck or four-color, whatever you're playing. Beneath the Sands, is that like a, one of the key cards in that archetype, whether it's sealed or draft? Yes, and I, I thought initially that that was going to make it more likely that you would find this because you've got the Naga at common plus Beneath the Sands, and then you've still got two packs of the, the Gifts of Paradise. Now, my version didn't play that today, and I had access to one. So, like, I was really more interested in the 2-4 that can get me 2 mana and kind of get me immediately to 7 mana. I had one, one turn where I opened with Naga Bridalist into the 2-4 and then cast, like, a 6-7 a, a Crocodile the next turn. Like, you can do that absurdly fast in some of these decks. Um, but I, I think that can be a part of it if you're going to splash or if you're going to try to do those kind of greedy mana bases. I always say when I'm talking to people on stream about splashing, you need to have a reason to splash, which is a powerful card, and the fixing to do it. And if you don't have both of those things, don't do it. Just build a solid two-color or two-color with a light splash tag. Okay. Vince, how was your experience with pre-release? Did you encounter this, like, a lot of two-drop aggro decks, and do you feel like that's a, probably a bad spot to be? What's your take on that? I want to say I was in the position as Travis was referring to, where I had the 2 out of 10 pool where I was supposed to build aggro, but it was probably more that I was just being a, a lunatic and just playing aggro and sealed because. But uh, yeah, I ended up uh, playing the, a pretty aggressive red-black deck with some pretty solid removal spells like Insult to Injury and Cut to Ribbons and stuff. Um, but the deck was great. I played a whole bunch of aggro decks, so I think uh, Travis is spot on with what people are doing right now. Um, but yeah, it seems like I actually ended up drafting a deck that was a four-color green deck that, that played really well. Um, so that archetype is definitely real and definitely still viable. I actually hope it's not as good as it was in uh, Amonkhet because it was actually just, like, by the end of that format, you were basically looking at your pool and you're like, do I have enough Gifts of Paradise to play Sealed today? And if you didn't, you were just, like, playing some garbage white-blue deck and you just didn't even want to play Sealed. So I hope this time around there's enough of a sort of at least mid-range or aggro type of strategy that can really hate on the, the slow uh, green-based ramp decks. 
but I don't know if it's going to be possible because there's a lot, a lot of good, um, like ramp spells and even a common just beat down like the the five six trampler that cycles, uh, the seven seven trampler at uncommon that scries three and you gain a bunch of life. Like there's just a, a lot of good additions to that deck, so it, it'll be interesting to see where where this sealed format ends up. Hmm. All right, Rob. Let's get to you. Did you encounter this five color good stuff? I did. I played it. <laughs> uh, it wasn't five color, it was four color, uh, but I did have two Traveler's Amulets, which is another card that kind of um, at common that lets you, uh, lets you do some easy splashing uh, in sealed. And I think um, I actually like that card quite a bit. Uh, let's me cut my land count down without feeling too bad about it. I like, I do like to be a little bit greedy when I'm uh, building those kind of decks. Unfortunately, like my power level at the top end was kind of meh. I had uh, the Locust God and a Lake Lane, but nothing really else going on at the top end. So I was really just splashing for my removal because uh, my pool was so bad. But uh, I did manage to pull out a three two with it, so <laughs> it was it was okay. I I don't know if it's um, I I definitely didn't have like a good version of the deck. But I don't know where the actual power level lies, but I, I agree that there's looks like a lot of ways for you to very easily make a three color mid range deck with like by, by splashing one or two cards of a single color, and possibly even more if you're if you're base green. Um, in my experience with sealed so far in general, I think my preference currently lies in blue red. Like if I could pick a color pair to be the one that is most prominent in my pool, I would pick I would pick blue and red. I think that the just having the flyers, the tempo, the tempo from blue, and the good removal from red is just like very, very difficult uh, for the other strategies to deal with. And I had a, I had a very good blue red deck at my pre-release that didn't even play any rares, and I still managed to go undefeated uh, on the night. Um, so yeah, I, I very much like that uh, that combination so far. The red removal in this for in this set, anyways, is very, very good. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Okay. Um, Travis, so what was your total result for the day so far? I think I had a 4-1 and a 3-2. And I, again, I think at least two of those losses were to me screwing up and not understanding what my cards do. Um, but like, generally speaking, I'm happy with it. And that, that's what I should be doing, right, as I'm diving into my first ones and getting to play with the cards the first time. But uh, I'll have better results because, like I said, between now and Toronto, my intent is to basically do nothing but sealed and a draft here or there. It doesn't look like the draft format has changed all that much. It's, it seems to be a world revolving around two drops, and they're slightly worse quality, and they're slightly less cartouchian trial shenanigans, but I, I can live with that. I think I, I've always thought drafting is easy and sealed is where the challenge lies and limited. Hmm. Uh, did you finish uh, the last set with when you drafted it and near the end of the format? Did you f- think that you had it all figured out? By then? Yeah, I think so. I, I think my initial impressions of the format, much like everyone's, we thought it was going to be slower than it was. And what, what I thought the format was going to be actually turned out to what the sealed format was going to be, where it's this slow, grindy stuff driven by what bombs did you open? I thought it was going to be what bombs did you draft? And like we're splashing a single removal spell off just a few sources is probably still viable because the game's going to go long enough that you'll find them. Um, but by the end of the format, yeah, I had a pretty good handle on where things were. Did you like any of the uh, cycling decks that Rob loves? The cycling decks were great when you could get them to come together. My, my main issue was um, a card like Drakehaven was a good standout for that. Like if I get Drakehaven and then a bunch of good cycling cards, I've made an awesome deck. 
the trap I've seen people fall into is to take Drakehaven and then start to play these garbage cycling cards that just don't do anything. And it's like, if you don't draw the Drakehaven, you're just cycling through your deck and it's trash. But it would be if you have it in your opener, you just win. That makes them think, think it's good. But like, yeah, they, if, if you get a good version of the cycling deck, they were great. Does that make sense to you, Cycling King over there? Uh, Drakehaven was not my card of choice for the cycling deck. It was War, Warfire Javelinier. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that, that's the card that sent me down the cycling train. I would snap every Wander and Death I saw it after that. <laughs> yeah, the card's just great. Um, Travis, uh, outside of strategy, did you enjoy uh, the deck and, and the new mechanic, the format rather, and the new mechanics from uh, our? From our? I would say yes. Um, generally speaking, in, in the sealed area, I'm enjoying it a lot. The, the draft area seems like the games are coming to a close so quickly that win or lose, I, I don't feel like there's as many significant decisions that are being made, which is fine to have that as a format now and then. I, would, I don't want everything to be Gatecrash or, or Zendikar level fast, which I feel that this is. But yeah, playing with the new stuff in sealed was a, an absolute blast. I like that Exert was now tacked onto things that weren't just combat focused i've got some tap abilities um and, and some neat cards there and like all of the grinding was still there eternalized played very nice i was happy that the tokens got fixed in magic online little things but now when i embalm something it actually looks like a zombie or when i eternalize it it looks like a zombie and it's all set on the cards so yeah i, I would say it's a very good experience were you a fan of embalm but you get you got to play online so it's a different experience in real life with with have needing to have the specific token for, for the experience to be seamless? You know, I, I did play a, a good bit of paper at, at GP Richmond. Um, Glorybringer took me out early in day two, so I decided to, to go <laughs> home. Out. Yeah. Out. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I want to trip home. I don't, I don't want to play five rounds for a potential to catch this. But, but even after doing that, I had an embalm heavy deck that was three colors, green base, Gifts of Paradise. It was great. Um, but e even then, the little punch out tokens they give you were just fine for that. You just have to be aware that the graveyard is an extension of your hand in this set. So be looking at it while it's on the table, pop out the window if it's on Magic Online, and it's okay to ask your opponent to see their graveyard. So I, I, I don't think it was that clunky in paper. I mean, obviously, when you're doing stuff and making tokens, it can require a little extra effort, but just writing, you know, exert. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not that hard, man. Okay, so our, our, our takeaway again, that Travis, to sort of summarize, like, look for the, look for the green base deck if it's there, and if you have... The bombs and the fixing, right? Yeah, it, it got to the point, um, I, I think Vince mentioned, where like towards the end of the sealed format, I, the first thing I looked at was how many gifts of paradise I had. Like, <laughs> that's what I was looking for in, in Amonkhet. I'm not quite there with, with this format yet, but that is somewhere I start is like, okay, how many of these two four Nagas do I have? Do I have any gifts? Because I was really interested in being able to splash double colored cards. Like that was huge. Like you just play anything. So I'm, I'm still kind of looking for that. Again, out of eight builds, I've seen it once, but when it was there, it was fantastic. And then for the others, don't be scared to splash. As mentioned, there's a lot of good fixing that doesn't require you to be green. So it's not all that difficult to work a final reward into your white-red mid-range deck. And I will, the jury's still out on aggro for me, um, but, but we'll see. Even, even if it's right to do two out of ten times, that means 20% of the decks you face will be aggressive. So what would make you happy right now, like opening basic in two weeks? What type of pool are you hoping to open outside of like everything is the nuts type thing? 
I have a weird view on sealed and uh, I, honestly, I, I don't, I view the challenge of sealed as the only thing that matters is building the best deck I can out of the pool that I opened. And it kind of like how good the deck is, is somewhat irrelevant because like a, a deck that's all forest and grizzly bears could probably still win, you know, 30% of its matches or whatever, maybe not these days, uh, let's say grizzly bears and three threes for three, you could probably still win some games from that. So like I view the exercise as almost more important, like build the best deck. Now, if I get to choose, I want, I want the green deck. I want all the fixing. I want all the bombs. Give me the best cards from every set. Like let's, let's greet it up, man. All right. I'm going to, Start again with you with a question that that I want uh, the thoughts of all all of you on is uh, Travis. Despite being like I've every time I praise you, it's like oozing likability. That's what I think. Like I think you're just so likable. But but with your videos, your draft videos on Madadeprived dot com and, and the YouTube channel, you do get your share of haters that, oh, yeah. that say you know. Stop like with all the draft videos. It's always some guy or girl that loves to say, "Stop watching after the first pick because you you picked the wrong card." And you're getting you got that in your last few videos, and I want to hear your thoughts on that, especially since uh, and and your view of staying flexible as a whole. Because I believe you picked maybe an artifact card over Liliana's mastery, and people were were very upset with that. Very upset upset with you. Yeah, I'd like there there's various strategies of drafting. Like for me, if there's a colorless option that's good as a pack one pick one, I'm nearly always going to take it. Now, Glorybringer is pushing me out of that range. I think what if I'm remembering the pick correctly, I think I ended up going in the colors of the Liliana's Mastery. So like obviously it would have been better, but I didn't it, like I didn't know that at the time. One thing I've gotten the habit of doing both on stream and in videos if I remember to do it is take my first three picks and not even put them in the deck building section. Just move them straight to the sideboard. Because like, if you can get in the habit of just picking the absolute best cards out of the first three packs, I think that does better for you in the long term. Like, I started drafting in Mirage. That was the first set that you could draft. If you didn't read signals there, you ended up with a deck that was 15 cards and then the rest was just garbage in lands. Like, I'm talking five mana two twos with drawbacks. Like, stuff was just awful. And, like, now the, the downside of forcing a deck where I'm just like, oh, I opened a good black card. I got some black. I'll take another one. Like, the downside just isn't there. You're still going to have a playable deck. It's not going to be as good as it could have been if you were open. So, like, for me, I want to figure out what the, the people who are passing me two packs are sending me. Once I can figure that out, I'm good to go. I'll draft those colors. I don't care what they are. I don't care if the combination's good. I'll just play them. Green from BFC being the one exception. I don't want to play green. But other than that, I'm, I'm good to go. So like, I know there's people that get that, <laughs> right? And then there's other people that just can't divorce this idea of you passed a good black card and went into black. You're not going to get any black pack too. You're terrible. You should quit playing magic. I'm like... <laughs> I don't think you're quite getting what I'm meaning to convey, but I, I definitely appreciate all of the people that watch and leave comments. LOL. That was awful. <laughs> I, I stopped watching after that. Um, love it. Uh, but we're here on first strike. We're here to, to argue, to debate. We're going to ask Vince because I'm looking over Travis's pack here and he picked Lil edifice of authority over Liliana's mastery. Would you do that? Or do you think it's not? Nah. So 
when I heard, like, literally just now, hearing the story, I'm like, it, it had to have been Edifice of Authority, because there's, like, literal no other artifact that you pick. Oh, well, unless Travis is bad. <laughs> well, I don't think Travis is bad. I don't think that, I mean, unless the comments are justified, no, I'm just, um, I actually don't think that's completely unreasonable. And I honestly don't even think that even if you end up in black, you're not even that much worse off having an edifice. Like that card is incredibly good. So, I mean, obviously it'd be great to have the Liliana's mastery and then end up going black, white zombies and just living the dream. But a hundred percent of your decks will play edifice of authority. Maybe 60% of your decks when you first pick Liliana's mastery will play Liliana's mastery. Unless you're drafting wrong and you force black every time you open Liliana's mastery. So. I'd like to disagree with Travis for the sake of the show, but I honestly think it's a completely reasonable strategy. And I think, just to add to the comments he was making earlier, one of the, the nice things about being a viewer um, is you have the, the luxury of seeing the results before you make your comments or your judgment call. Like, you have all of the hindsight before you even say, you're an idiot, you drafted wrong, right? If you put that person in that pack one, pick one, and pause the video and go, make your pick, they're not going to have the same level of, of kind of condescension because they don't know. And that's the situation that the drafter's in. So a lot of the time, the people who make the comments have the luxury of being like, well, I knew what you were getting next, so you screwed up. Like, sure, if, if I was cheating and could see all the packs around me, I would have drafted a lot differently, but that's not how it works. So that's life. Some of these people are nice, though, Travis. I really like you and your content, Travis, but I, too, stopped watching after pack one, pick one. Taking a colorless card over a very strong rare is just a flawed reasoning to me. Rob, where do you stand? Liliana's Mastery or Edifice of Authority? Go. I, I mean, I would definitely take the Mastery. I don't think it's... <laughs> I mean, I, I can understand uh, that it's a defensible argument, like wanting to stay open, but I don't think that they're close in power level. They're not close enough for me anyways to want to to value staying open uh, over having Liliana's Mastery. And the fact that Liliana's Mastery is a zombie card and the black-white zombies deck is the best deck in draft by like a pretty wide margin. <laughs> it's going to be pretty hard for me to, uh, to, to pass it up. Uh, I mean, I have taken Edifice over a lot of rares uh, that that were people will probably yell at me for doing that, um, but I think Liliana's Mastery is good enough that I would I would take the risk. I, I want to play it, and it it also just goes into any black deck, and I I'm fine giving up the uh, the kind of EV of losing Edifice to like seventy percent playing uh, Liliana's Mastery. I think that it, it's a good enough bet for me. But I'm also usually drafting to like I want to three O. I want to give myself the best chance to three O. So I want to take the the highest power level card at each stance and get into the, the best archetype if I can. Uh, whereas I think Edifice is going to leave you to 0-3-ing way less and 1-2-ing much less, but you're probably also going to like 2-1 slightly more than you will 3-0 because where you, you know, end up black or, or I guess in another deck that's not going to abuse your, your bomb rare that you passed up to stay safe, um, you may end up, you know, losing a match, but it's also your, your deck's definitely not going to be a train wreck. Where it definitely could be with Liliana's mastery <laughs> as your first pick, but I'll, I'll take the risk. I think the risk is worth the reward. That, and that's what that comes down to is is the question of is the risk worth the reward, and that's something that people have to evaluate on their own. Honestly, I think both of those are are valid picks. Like it's difficult to go wrong either way, in my opinion. And I think it's close. Like toss a glory bringer in there. We're not having this conversation, right? Like you're just gonna take it. 
Yeah, yeah. Glory, glory bringers like top three or whatever, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, Travis, it was great to have you on. Um, tell. Wait, 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 wait. What happened in the draft? How did you do? Did you see him? I saw that you were going green blue as how far I got into the picks, which God, I'm not super excited about that, but I, I wonder how it went. God, you know, I record these videos about a week in advance. So that was about three weeks ago. I honestly have no idea. <laughs> That's really disappointing. <laughs> we'll have to, well, we'll leave it to the viewer to, uh, to go check on us. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they can tell you, tell us. Boy, they stopped watching. Watching. No, nobody knows, man. Nobody yeah. knows. Don't watch you after pack one, pick one. They're just like, nope, stop. That's Travis's is Amonkhet draft number seven, if anyone wants to go. Check it out. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm looking it up right now, bud. Also, like, small side note, if you're watching a draft and you disagree with a pick and your impulse is to close the draft, why are you watching a draft? Like, is your goal just to have, like, some weird confirmation bias where you only watch videos where everyone does exactly what you thought they were going to do? And if so, why are you watching videos? Like, you should actually only watch videos where someone picks what you wouldn't pick because then you get a, a frame of reference that's not your own already. So the, the logic, you, I disagree with your pack one, pick one, so I stopped watching. It's like, it's basically saying I intentionally chose to learn nothing today. It's just the weirdest logic, so. Don't do that, guys, if you disagree with someone's picks. You might learn something. I actually think it's worth, it's more worth watching yeah. when someone picks a different pick. Then you also, like, can scrutinize whether or not you think, A, the draft, as it goes through, was worth it, and then, B, watch all the games and see if, if that card made the difference or not, right? Like, did this deck 3-0? Like, maybe <laughs> it is more correct to stay open because drafting uh, your seat is right. uh, worth more than... Uh, forcing strong, strong rares. The only time I focus when I'm watching coverage is when someone does something that I disagree with. Because that's when I'm like, am I an idiot or are they an idiot? Like, that's, I mean, that's a blunt way of putting it, but it's true. That's how you learn, right? So Yeah, absolutely. So I went and looked. The deck went one and two. Uh, the win was to an opponent not showing up. <laughs> so... So clearly, with all of that knowledge, you were absolutely right. I should have taken the mastery. Um, but to, to that point, like you've, you've mentioned, like watching a video and turning it off in the beginning, like how are you learning from there? I caught myself doing something. This is a long time ago, but I, I looked at a review and then I listened to the limited resources set review. And every time they agreed with me, I said, oh, wow, I'm so smart. Yeah. And then every time they disagreed with me, I said, oh, wow, I'm so smart. I know better than them. And that's when I realized, like, that these can't both be true. I need to really dial in on the cards we disagree about and, and like give this some thought. These are competent people that are telling me that these cards are good or these cards are bad. And I really need to analyze why. And like, I'm going to go back to this again because of the, the comment section there and why it really doesn't bother me. I, many, many moons ago when I'm playing at the local store, I wasn't very good at magic. I didn't know what I was doing. And there was this guy that beat me all the time, but he'd go on tilt when he lost, which is awful. <laughs> Like, just awful. So it was really fun to beat him. But, like, he was very set in his ways about this card is good, this card is bad. Didn't want to talk about it. That's, that's all he was. And, like, as I started learning and taking the advice of other people and watching videos, like Josh Frankel that started there and, like, got better at Limited, I eventually got better than him and then recognized that until he got rid of that attitude of he already knows everything, he can't get any better than he is. So, like... Yeah, I've watched videos where it, like cringe-worthy stuff happens, and I'm like, oh, 
I, I need to stop watching this, but like finish it out, check it out. You may learn something. And what you learn may be that you're actually better at magic than the person you're watching. And that's a great, a great feeling to have to be like, Hey man, I could have seen my way through this play. Um, as much as I agree, I also feel like the dark part of me wants this to be like this new thing where every video, the most liked comment is stop watching back one, pick one. How many Smurf accounts are you making, KYT, to come and say this stuff about my videos? I think, I think that's what I want to happen. So hopefully uh, the haters are listening to First Strike and every video, every draft portion video you have, it's like, stop watching after pack one, pick one. <laughs> the haters make it worth it, KYT. The haters make it worth it. I guess for, for what it's worth, I don't think the Edifice pick was the incorrect pick in that draft. Oh, oh. I think it was the Weaver of Currents because green blue is so bad. Green blue sucks. The blank. Yeah, you're probably no. You're just right. You're just right. You're not probably right. You're right. Which pick was that? So when when should people have actually stopped watching? Pack one, uh, pick pick four, pick five. Pack pack one, pick four, pick five. Around there. Yeah, Uh, give me like five cards, then stop watching. Stop watching. Oh, he took Weaver. I I don't even want to know where this ends up. Yeah, yeah. But give the video a thumbs up, and definitely give the stop watching comments a thumbs up in his on his videos. Travis, just tell us before you go. Tell us about your stream and and why people should tune in tune in and what your schedule is. So typically I'm streaming uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then one day on the weekend whenever there's a big event. So if it's a standard PTQ or a limited PTQ, I'm usually playing whatever format there are PTQs for online. I made the decision a while back that like I'd like to qualify for the Pro Tour, but honestly, that would be just for a promotion for the stream, not necessarily like, sure, I want to win the Pro Tour too, but like it'd be a bigger deal to me to be playing it while I'm streaming. So you'll see standard, you'll see limited, um, you'll see modern, again, whatever the qualifier season is. Between now and Toronto, it's, it's going to be essentially nothing but sealed. Why should you stop by? Well, I think it's kind of a cool place to hang out. Like I, I maintain a G-rated stream, so no cursing, no screaming. I had a kid come up to me at a PTQ I top aided, and I was like, he said he watched the stream with his dad. I was like, I want to make sure that this is an okay place for that kid to come and watch. So it's family friendly. You're not going to hear me cursing and screaming. I kind of keep the chat clear too. And I also try to keep it as a chill place. Like I have a bit more heavily moderated chat than many of the other streamers I've visited. So if somebody's going to come in and be a jerk, like I don't need the views that bad, man. You can go watch somebody else. It's a chill place, a cool place where we're working together to try to get better at magic. So if that's what you're up for, come and say hi. G-rated, just like how I went from 18 to this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah twitch.tv slash Semulin. You can uh, find him on twitter.com slash at Semulin. That's S-E-M-U-L-I-N. Also want to give a shout out to me and you when we first match up for Team Trios. GP Providence, we finished fifth. Sadly, only top four made it to the final bracket, but... Uh, they definitely had to change. What was cool is that they changed the system for day two after that tournament because they realized people weren't moving up or down the rankings too much due to, like, you're just drafting against another team. It was like three drafts, right? You drafted against another team, and you played them twice. Yeah. So, like, if you beat them, and you beat them again, you're not, like, differentiating yourself against, like, the rest of the field. But fifth, I was surprised. Like, me, you, and Frankel, first time all three of us like ever played magic together. So that was an awesome experience. It, it was, I have fond memories of that because like I learned how to draft basically by watching Josh's videos. 
Josh introduced me to you where I started doing videos. And then when I saw the Team GP coming up as a joke, I asked you if you and Josh wanted to go. I, I was kind of kidding. I didn't think you guys would want to play with me. And you're like, yeah, sure, let's do it. It's like, oh, yeah. crap, I'd better pay attention and learn this format. <laughs> and then it was great when we got there because you were basically like, hey, I've been focusing on standard. You guys build a good aggro deck and hand it to me. I'll take, I'll take that. You guys just build the decks. And like that actually made the team portion better. And then I'm not sure how, but I, I still remember watching you beat turn two pack rat oh, yeah. twice. It's like, that was a challenge back in those days. That's where I'm like, this KYT guy, he actually knows how to play magic. Who knew? <laughs> that was kind of great. Like you guys gave me probably the best deck. I think I went X1 or XO on day one. And uh, pack rat is just. No problem. Just, KYT. I mean, he just had to not be greedy on that one turn. I just blew him out with like two tricks to kill all his rats somehow. But you know, with pack rat, all you have to do is sit back and seal. If it doesn't die early, that's all you have to do. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Travis. And I uh, hope people will check out your stream. You'll be streaming tomorrow, right? Tomorrow morning. Come say hi. All right. Thanks a lot, Trav. All right, gentlemen. Have a good evening. That, that was Tra my buddy Travis Sowers. That will be at GP Toronto. So let's move on to something different. Uh, today there was news on the mothership concerning Manic Magic Online posted decklist changes. You know, we've there have been changes before, before they would post all the lists, and then they started to sort of choose the events. And now today, uh, I'm just going to read the little blurb here. Over the history of Magic Online, we have published a steady stream of deck lists for players to explore and learn from. But the way we do that has changed over time. Our current method for presenting deck lists for Magic Online leagues is to randomly select 10 of the top performing deck lists per format per day. Starting July 10, we will be reducing the number of top deck lists being presented per day from 10 to 5. And each of these deck lists will be randomly selected with the caveat that each list will be at least seven cards different from every other list. Why? And then it goes into, of course, the format being solved too quickly in today's day and age. Vince, I'll start with you. What do you think about this announcement? I think, okay, so the people that are up in arms about this change should have been up in arms from day one when they were only posting 10 deck lists because the actual volume of deck lists as a percentage of total 5-0s that they're showing you is going from like 0.3% of them to 0.15% of them. So realistically, this change is super minimal in terms of the actual exposure you're getting to the full metagame. So I'm not sure why people think going from 10 decks to 5 decks is like a complete travesty and needs to be uh, adjusted or something. Like We were already getting such a filtered look at the metagame that going from 10 to 5 isn't that drastic, realistically. The problem was already there to begin with. So if you, had a, if you have a problem with it now, you should have had a problem the entire time. I will say that them making that rule where it's kind of like we want all of the decks to look different might actually be more of a problem than the reduction in size of decks because what might end up happening, I'm not sure if this is how it's going to go down, but it might end up just being that it keeps spitting out the same five different decks each week just because there's not enough diversity, in, in, especially in Standard, for you to see a huge range of archetypes and then see like, oh, this week there were these five and now there's these five different ones. It's probably just going to be like a ramp deck, a zombies deck, a green black deck, a Mardu deck and then some like blue base control deck or something, right? So it's, that might be more of a problem in terms of 
them hiding information because you won't see like, oh, this week there were six Mardu decks that made the the random ten. Um, but yeah, this is not as big of a deal as people are making out to be in the sense that this was already a problem to begin with in terms of them hiding information. That being said, do I think them hiding information is a good idea or the solution to the, the problem of metagames being solved? No, I think that's ridiculous. I don't think this is how they should be handling the problem of people solve metagames too fast. It's just they need to just build a standard environment that doesn't get solved. I'm like, that's, that's the challenge that is on them to fix, not hide information until people don't solve the format. Rob, people are so grumpy about this. As Vince already put it, very negligible change. And I think that it is not warranted uh, at all. So um, not only do I think, I, I agree with Vince completely that if you're angry now, you should have already been angry. This really doesn't change the information that's available to us uh, in any meaningful way uh, anyways. Um, but I disagree in that I think that this change is very good. Um, and I believe that it will make online play better in the near term anyways, as we kind of see how the metagames uh, shake out. So what was happening before was that people were just like looking on MTG Goldfish to see what the metagame breakdown percentage was, right? Which is already like kind of a bastardized filtered list uh, that's not representative of the true metagame. And then people would just tend to play like the top three tiers until uh, one of those tiers was start outperforming and then it would show up more and then people would just go there and it would be more represented and it would show up more and then you kind of have this snowball effect, right? Where it's like green black's doing really well right now. Everyone's playing green black. Green black starts doing better until like someone actually figures out how to beat it. And then it slowly moves back to whatever the, the next best deck is or whatever is actually combating. Right. So like you have like everyone piling on and then like getting out of that pylon is actually very slow uh, under like the way that they were presenting data this way. You won't actually know if 80% of the decks winning are green black, because you're only going to see one list a day. You'll know that green black is doing well enough to 5-0, but you don't know if it's like mostly Mardu, mostly green back, mostly teamer. That information is like not going to be available to us anymore. So people are actually going to have to choose their deck based on what they think is actually good against the metagame instead of just what they think the most popular deck is, which I think is going to end up, uh, you know, benefiting people who are actually good at magic. Um, and it, I think it'll create a more diverse metagame. Uh, in standard anyways, so the modern is already a disaster. <laughs> decks all over the place. But I think it'll be a, a, a more diverse metagame in standard. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like The people that are just complaining about it or complaining about information being a good thing, those are also like the same people that are complaining that um, they don't want to play mirrors all the time, right? So it's like, okay, so you don't want to play mirrors all the time because you don't, you don't like them, but you also like want Wizards to post all this information which will homogenize the format faster. So, uh, I don't know, you can't really, like, have it uh, both ways. So I think less information is better. Um, and, yeah, I think that, like, the just below intermediate player is the player that, that suffers. But, you know, they're already trying to put in their work to grind and level up anyways. So uh, they'll have to work a little bit harder, I guess. Could, could you recap, uh, Rob, what you would like? Like, would you like everything posted or, or not? Nothing. I would like nothing posted. <laughs> nothing posted. That would be your take. From, if, like, online... If, like, somehow there was, like, some web crawler that would go and delete all deck lists, that would be, that would be great. I mean, the Pro Tour would become much, much harder 
but I'm like already not a star on the pro scene anyways. But like in the uh, local competitive scene and like the GP circuit, if you're good at, at deck building and like picking apart a metagame and like looking at the format and figuring out what strategy could be good against what you think people are going to play, like it's going to benefit you there, right? The less information that everyone has. It just means that like some guy won't be able to pick up, you know, the 30% of the metagame deck list that's already well-tuned against uh, the other three decks and just come to the tournament and play it, right? More information is going to allow that. And I'm, I'm fine toning that down uh, slightly. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. I think that also, if this sucks, Wizards will change it, right? They have a tendency to do that. So I think people can just relax. <laughs> well, I'm sure that if it's, if it's garbage, it'll be short-lived. <laughs> if you're the boss, would it be like nothing on, online and in real life? Yeah, like I would just show like the very most high-level... Uh, Tournament play, right? Like GP top eight, uh, Mox final top eight, PT top eight, and that's it. Whoa. <laughs> like, that's so bad. Like, that's so not the way it should be. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked. This is how it was it back in the day, and that's when I had the most fun playing Magic. Right, but that's because you were in the <laughs> position where you could leverage your informational advantage, right? Like, if you want Magic to be about the person who is the best player in terms of playing the game, wins most often this is the antithesis to that right you've now created an environment where the people who create the information the people who have the best testing groups the people who have the best network become the best players regardless of whether or not they are the best players it's not it's no longer about playing the game it's about knowing the right people and having the right team of deck builders yeah you'll see that on the, yeah but you'll see that on the pro stage right like at the local level you won't have that effect it won't be as prominent why won't you? Because now, like, all of these, like, you have all these players that are, like, all the same level of skill, right? But they're also all the same level of skill in deck building. And you have people that are fine just, like, grabbing whatever the best deck list that they see online is and playing it. And you have people that are like, I want to try something, right? Now, everyone has to try something, right? And, like, it'll even that out. It's like everyone's playing sealed, but they get to bring their own deck. Okay, so... That was a pretty big assumption to assume that everyone has the same level of both play skill and deck building skill. But even if I grant you that, you still reward the people who know more people more than the people who are just good at magic. You've now turned magic into a game of how many friends do you have? How much information can you get? How much time do you have? Rather than are you good at magic? Oops, sorry. Not- my point is, it's just not, that's not right. You want... I just don't think that's the correct way to to handle the problem. Make the information completely public, make it all available, and let people figure out for themselves what they want to play. It's yeah, I, I agree. I agree with what you're saying, right? And I agree that I'm being hyperbolic in in my statement. But it also doesn't work the other way, right? Because you have people that are just lazy in analyzing a format and and figuring out how to defeat it, and they will just hive mind to whatever people tell them is the best deck or whatever is showing up the most, which is also bad. So it is somewhere in the middle that it needs to be. And I think that taking a step at reducing information, considering that we already had a disaster, we had too much information, like wait, like you know, a year ago or whatever, that I think it, it's worth looking at and seeing if it, if it helps. Okay, maybe I'm being idealistic in the way I'm describing this, but imagine a scenario where people were doing what you were doing, hive-minding, and you could take advantage of that by understanding 
the metagame, understanding it was lopsided because everyone was just going, what is the highest played deck? I'm going to play that. And then beating that deck, right? You know, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to exactly how to beat the exactly. best deck. So the people who are good enough are the people who get rewarded, which is what I want in a magic world. I want the people... I'm not saying literally me. I mean, in this... I, I, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm usually giving hypothetical in the same way. I'm, all I'm trying to say is, and really this comes back to wizards being able to create a standard environment that fosters that, or a modern environment, or a legacy environment, where you can have complete information about what decks are doing well and still go, okay, I know how to tackle these decks, and I can tune my deck to beat those decks, and still feel like I'm innovating and still feel like I'm playing well, and not just going, here's the list of the best decks, I'll just play this one. And I, that's what I want. I don't know if it's possible, but that, that would be ideal to me if we're going to talk about scenarios that we want. I mean, but then they also have to design it in a way that allows that to happen. Well, get to work. <laughs> I just feel like it's lazy to be like, we're not good at designing sets, so we're just going to hide good decks from you until you solve it on your own. Like, that's just so lame. Hearthstone doesn't do that, and they have zero problems with this. Yeah, but Hearthstone has a, a different, uh, a whole different system, right? Like, the mana system's different. They have nine classes. Cards are restricted to a certain class. Like, in Magic, if you like a blue card, you can just put it in your red deck. It's not a big deal, right? It's I can just take a priest card and stick it in my warrior deck to punish all the mages. Like, it's not how it works. In I, understand, I understand it's different. I'm, I, again, I understand it's different, but it's still, it could be more possible to have a standard environment that that could shift yeah depending i mean on how they built it yeah no they need to design much differently i think than the it's just now. lazy to to rather than fix the actual design of the set to just be like we'll just hide the best decks from you for as long as possible that's, well, that's all i'm saying i just i'm very curious to see how this pans out i i think that everyone should just relax yeah nothing magic gets better <laughs> i uh, think it will <laughs> We're talking about from a competitive player standpoint. I don't know how much Watsi uh, thinks about it, but I imagine, Vince, what do you think that stores like it just because people just like to auto-buy the, the hottest deck list? Stores want a rotating metagame big time, right? Stores want the best deck to change every week because they want the degenerate who always wants to play the best deck to have to go in every week and buy new cards. Um, this is probably good for stores in that sense, in that you're kind of obscuring what the best deck is, and that way, for the first couple of months of a new standard environment, it won't be as clear. Um, I don't know if that was their intention. I highly doubt that it was. But yeah, I guess that's sort of a side effect that's a bonus for the secondary card market. It's a huge problem on Moto, for sure. I mean, singles on Moto are just irrelevant, right? Like, pack value and single prices are just in the dumps. So maybe this is that's a good point. Maybe this is why they're, they're hiding it, to try to make the standard environment rotate a little bit more so that cards become more valuable. But again, I come back to the point, just make your standard set better so I don't have to worry about this. But <laughs> uh, Common chat, the issue with hiding the best decks is you're unable to see what is broken. But I think Watsi has shown that, I don't know, they just look at their own moto data, right, Rob? Yeah, I mean, they know when something is actually broken, right? Because they can see the win percentages over thousands of games. So, like, when something is like that, and then people will also get a sense for it, right? Because e even with this limited information that's being presented, if Marvel, like, say Marvel is still in the format, or let's just say that, um, I don't know, like, Grixis Control, like, Nickel Bolts is just the nut, or, like, New Perspectives just becomes unbeatable or something, right? You'll definitely know very soon by playing in Moto Leagues because you'll keep losing to that deck, 
right? It's like, okay, I went 3-2 again. I lost in new perspectives once, and I, like, kind of drew poorly and lost to green-black or whatever. And you go in again. You're like, oh, I played new perspectives twice, and I didn't beat it either times. Okay, I'll change my sideboard up. I, I still lost. Okay, well, maybe I should play new perspectives. Okay, that was pretty easy. I played poorly. I still went 4-1. I, like, change a couple things, and then you start 5-0-ing, right? So just, like, you know, I, I, I think that if something's broken, you'll it's not like it's not easy to see because you're not going to be able to beat it. And when you start playing it, you should also not be able to lose. So, <laughs> and then, and then Watsi will do something about it. Right. Just kind of, uh, maybe what was not really happening with Marvel, but it's just like the games were just such useless, uh, pieces of entertainment that they changed the format anyways. <laughs> but can you see how this new change enables them to kind of cheat that whole process of going like, you know, this deck is broken, we see it, and we're going to change it. Now they can just be like, look at the last six weeks. All the five decks in our random five were different. We don't have to worry about it. Yeah, but they also don't, they don't want a broken format, right? People just won't whine about a format that's not broken, thinking that it's broken. Like, every, like, almost every other week, we were talking about what ban should happen yeah. in some format, right? And that's because, like, you just see the metagame percentage go up. It's like, look, cats, 55% of the field. Like, this is insanity, right? And it's just like, that deck was able to iterate on itself so fast. Right. Because but everyone had all that information. Obscuring information makes that harder to see. That's all I'm saying. I mean, yeah, if it happens. But they'll also have the information in the back end to notice it, right? They will, but we will Yeah, but we just hope that they're <laughs> right. honest with us, right? right? Which is clearly what they have been recently. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Like, if, if they get to a, a spot where um, there is a deck that's, like, over 50%, like, Cobblade, right? It's over 50% yeah. against everything, and they do nothing about it, and it's, like, very clear, then we'll know or that they're, they're being shit. they just start talking about some other random deck that no yeah. one's playing as being good. Like, that's look, Team Red Energy is out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think they said that because there was no ban window, right? And they just wanted to... Uh, damage control until the ban window came up, and then they just banned it, right? Um, or I guess they banned it two days later. I, it, they were... Yeah, I don't know. The cat combo thing was sloppy. <laughs> but we'll see if they learned their lesson. It gives us lots to talk about, so I'm fine. <laughs> okay, I'll do something a bit more artsy, I guess. Um, for Magic the Gathering, Watsi, they revealed their SDCC exclusive, usually at their San Diego, at the San Diego Comic Con. They usually come out with this like really cool alternate art for their planeswalkers. And this time I will link in the show notes. Uh Jason and Raveler Secrets, Liana Def's Mastery, Nissa's Steward of Elements, Chandra, Torch of Defiance, Gideon of the Trials, and Nicobolus God Pharaoh. Those are the choices. Those are the six in alternate art. Going through the Reddit comments, some feel like the art has this like ascension feel to it, and I can't disagree with that. Rob, what do you think about this? I don't know what ascension is, but I actually, <laughs> I think that the art is, uh, or the the theme, or like how the artistic style is, is much better than like the black, all black, or whatever they did before. I never, I was never really a fan of that. I mean. I guess you could see it if you like really look at it, but it just it from across the table or whatever it always looked like uh, very weird, and it was definitely different. But um, I'm fine with them taking this like very Egyptian hieroglyphic theme. It it almost looks like Nicol Bolas is like uh, pushing all the planeswalkers into a hieroglyph that's like on some pyramid wall or something like that, right? Um, 
The only thing I don't like is that all the planeswalkers in standard, they picked all the planeswalkers that are like the most recent versions of the standard uh, planeswalker set, and they're all kind of like garbage compared to the other versions, right? Like the other Nissa's better, other Lily's better, other Gideon is better. <laughs> I guess uh, Chandra's fine. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I wish they could have picked different planeswalkers, but that kind of the, the set is the set. Um, I guess, but I, I really like the art, except for Bolas. I think the, the art on Bolas is like really, I don't know, really weird. Not <laughs> he doesn't look grand. He looks uh, dis, like I don't know, like feeble or something. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a very, very weird angle. Uh, but I guess they're trying to get him like attacking them or something. I, I don't know. So but yeah, these ones are not going to be worth money like the old, like like the JSPP set or anything. I, I can I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> Looks like it's $180. Any, any quick thoughts on this, uh, Dag? Yeah, they're awful. I don't know what Rob's talking about. Like, the whole idea of these is that they look very different than the normal cards, and that's what was appealing about them and cool. And the whole, like, shadow box kind of thing was sweet. I thought it looked great. I love the idea of them doing the highlights with color and keep everything else black. But anyway, the artwork is just, like, weird and like the angle of the art is weird too. Like it's hard to tell. Like some of them are like bent in weird directions and you can't really see them. I I don't like any of it at all. And like the yeah, the choice of planeswalkers is bad. Uh it's just not I don't know what they were thinking with this one. It looks goofy. And I'm the person who defended Amonkhet invocations, and this looks bad. So I don't I don't know where, where that puts the level of this artwork. Not to fault the <laughs> artist, because I I honestly think the art on its own is fine. I just think the direction for these was brutal. Like, put them on a wall and then make the camera angle look like someone was taking it from three feet below the actual piece of artwork on the wall. It's just super, super weird. I don't, I don't get it at all. What about the bolus, Vince? Do you like the bolus? No, and I don't like that it's different than the other ones. I just, like, none of it makes sense to me at all. <laughs> it's just so weird, man. I don't know. It's not for me. Definitely not for me. He's etching them into a pyramid. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but like, but in there's not enough there for me to get that. And the way they did it wasn't great. They could have made it look a lot cooler. Like, could you imagine if they did it in such a way that if you put them all beside each other, you could see them all like meet up, and then if you like put bolus on top, it you could see like a kind of a pyramid shape or something. They just didn't do anything like that. It's just a bunch of weird looking yeah, art. That's how it works. The, the art actually is like. It goes through all, like, if you could take the art out of each one and piece it together, it's all one piece. But the perspectives are completely different on, like, three of them. How is that possible? And just look at it. Like, you can see, like, the horns in Jace come out in Liliana, and then there's, like, a bolus-y thingamajig that comes out on Nyssa from Lil. Okay, well, and just I'm not sure how, how Nyssa and Chandra are. Oh, maybe they sit on top. Maybe it actually is a pyramid. You just guessed it. That's what's up. Gideon oh, no. and Chandra are linked. So I actually little... guessed what they did, and they didn't do it right. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So it's about a failure on every possible level at this point. <laughs> oh, man. So moving on from the art, we are closing in on GB Toronto. Did you have anything that you wanted to bring up from the pre-releases that uh, we didn't talk about during the Travis portion, Rob? Is there anything we missed? Uh, yeah, I'm going to defend my title, and I'll win again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, um, I think that um, that 
the power level of a lot of the color pairs has changed in sealed. It, it, like uh, off first glance, anyways. Like it looks like uh, red black got stronger as red's removal is a little bit better, and black's creatures are just a little more ubiquitously like okay. They're not just like okay in in certain archetypes. They're just like just fine like beat down uh, creatures, and I think that uh, you'll see more blue red decks be able to be. Um, I guess decent uh, because like you have like unsummon and other good tempo cards. And then the, again, the red removal is just amped up. It looks like the white red deck in sealed got worse. Cause like the exert theme isn't as prominent and you don't have as many like Gus walkers and Neff crop entanglers and Emberhorn minotaurs and stuff like that uh, running around in the field. Um, and yeah, I expect that the green, I actually never really liked this five color green deck in sealed in Omniket, but I think it's much better uh, in this format. Um, because there's kind of uh, three or four fixers. I think there's three at common, actually, um, at least in, if you include the green cards. Uh, so that'll make it a lot easier for that deck to come together when you don't have a strong two-color pair to work with. Um, and one other thing. Oh, yeah, Black White Zombies looks like it took a little bit of a beating, too. Um, since you either, like, lose Binding Mummy and Lord of the Accursed and a bunch of other very strong cards uh, in that deck. I mean, they, they put other stuff there, but I just don't think it's on the same power level. I know Vince is shaking his head because he got manhandled by a black-white deck today, but I just don't... I think that's more the exception than the rule. <laughs> it was to mostly cards from Almond Cut, so maybe not. <laughs> that's why. Yeah. yeah, I think... Uh, it seems like... It looks like kind of green-black got a little bit worse, too. Like, they put, like, a green-black minus one, minus one counters card in there that's, like, sweet... That spider is like completely insane, but like the mice on mice on counter theme is like very light or non existent. So I know it's kind of uh, a weird card for them to print given how they the direction that they took those that, that color pair. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. The format looks like too, it has changed enough that it's interesting and exciting and new, but not too much that like if you you know were familiar with it that now you know absolutely nothing. So your knowledge is still. Still useful, but you need some things to learn. So I'm I'm looking forward to Toronto. I think it's going to be a fun GP. Any pointers that you you didn't mention earlier, uh, Dag? Yeah, I, I'll disagree a little bit with Rob. I think in sealed zombies became rather than this kind of all in like play seventeen two drops and pray kind of deck. It turned into a little bit more of a mid rangey kind of resilient creature strategy because they've got a lot of like recurring things now, like. The, the flying plus three plus three that you can rebuy, and then the the uh, hill giant that attacking zombies get indestructible, plus a flick is like a nice little way to chip some damage in. Um, yeah, I think I think the mid range decks became a lot, or the the aggro decks became a lot more resilient, a lot more mid rangey rather than just being like these all in. I kill you on turn five, or I have no way of winning kind of decks. Um, I will say, oh, th- th- I wanted to say while Travis was here, but I didn't get a chance. Um, his approach to how he thinks about sealed is something that I think a lot of people should take a serious note of in terms of rather than focus on how good was my pool, all you should be thinking about is did I take the cards that I opened and build them the right way? Because if you focus on that during your sealed prep, you will do much better than you think with even mediocre pools. Like every, I, I am convinced that almost every sealed pool, with the exception of maybe like two to three percent of sealed pools can succeed with the right deck builder and the right pilot you can do well with almost anything there's a reason why pro players consistently do well at limited gps they're not just luckier than you they're better at building the pools that they get so focus on making sure you maximize each individual pool 
rather than going to your rare column and being like, oh, this sucks. I didn't get three glory bringers. I'm never going to win. So <laughs> yeah, that was the one takeaway that I thought was really important that Travis made a note of. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think once you get that mindset, also, that's like a huge level up moment for a lot of yeah. people that are interested in limited. And you see like a lot of people make that mistake and get disheartened uh, after looking at their pool or like playing around and be like, ah, my deck sucks. I can't do anything. I'm, I'm out. It's like, okay, but you know, you're trying to get better. Like, did you make the decisions? Oh yeah. I don't think there was anything else I could have done. My deck's just garbage. It's like, once you have that mentality, you're like pretty much set up to have a poor tournament. <laughs> yeah. If you hear the words, my pool is bad and I couldn't have done anything else from anyone. They're not someone you're going to learn from, and they're not going to learn anything. Just in general, if you listen for those things, because you'll hear them a lot at Magic Tournament. Yeah, I, I, I do think, though, it's fine to say, my pool is not great, and it, I'm in an uphill battle. For sure. <laughs> That's fine. But, yeah. you know, you need to make the best of, uh, of your lemons or whatever, right? Exactly. Make, make some lemonade with that garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to how you guys do. Of course, we're having, got to mention, our first strike meetup at GP Toronto, which will be happening on Friday at 7 p.m. A place called Liberty Commons. It's like a pub slash bar type place to get food. We'll be there from 7 to maybe around 9. That's what we're looking at. Everyone who listens to First Strike is invited, not just the nation people, but everyone. Um, do want to give a special shout out to our producer, producers, Jonathan Good, Kaush Merchik, Derek Pite, Adrian Murchison, Isaiah Carrero. These guys are awesome. Make the show possible and other producers that wish to be unnamed. Um, you guys mean the world to us. And we keep getting new uh, support, new people in the room. And it's amazing. Uh, the, the Facebook group between these guys posting up the recent Steeler or draft decks and Brian just like piling on all his thoughts, all his brews. And uh, can finally he get unloaded. He unloaded this week. Unloaded <laughs> <laughs> his creative mind. Um, hopefully, we break the format with some our promise deck or, or some other uh, new cards. I'm really excited about uh, the new possibilities with the new set. Rob, yeah, no, I, I think it's great. I actually like um, before the SCG comes out. Usually, people are like kind of waiting to see. I, I don't know what to play, and they play like a deck that's just close to what you know, their old standard deck was and make some tweaks that are probably pretty irrelevant. And then after that SCG event happens then people know where the metagame's at. So uh, I don't know, like, yeah, if you're, uh, if you're interested, I would definitely try out some of Brian's decks. They look pretty sweet, especially for first week stuff um, before like the, the format starts piling in a direction. And I think some of those decks may have some, some longevity. So you may be ahead of the curve <laughs> to play some sweet stuff before everyone knows it's good. Uh, and I heard that Brian's working with some very good people, so stacks are probably not garbage. <laughs> yeah. New new co-host on the game podcast with Jerry Thompson, and definitely some someone me and you have relied on for for PPTK decks in the past. Oh yeah, a- absolutely. I'm undefeated with decks Brian has given me. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Uh, any last words from from you guys, uh, Rob? No, I, I'm good. I'm just. Uh, Looking forward to GB Toronto, and we'll be sealing uh, Infinite, I guess, until then. <laughs> Vince? Yeah, one thing. Um, a little bit more of a plug to the nation, I guess. I'm working on... What I, I used to do is I used to make Excel spreadsheets for my drafting whenever a new set came out, where I'd kind of list my draft 
the archetype that I drafted, what I ranked my deck at out of 10, and then just some notes on the deck, what I first picked, et cetera, et cetera, how many packs I want. Um, and then what I do with the data is it kind of um, look at the average rating that I gave my decks, how successful I was based on where I rated my deck, what archetypes were winning more than other ones. Um, so I'm going to finish up that Excel document and then put it up on the Facebook page. So if people want to start using that for their own evaluation, it's really good at helping you figure out what archetypes you might be overvaluing or undervaluing. Like if you think your red-white deck is a five, but you keep 3-0ing with it, you might be undervaluing some red-white cards. Or if you're looking at a green-black deck, you keep saying it's an eight, but you can't get past round one. Um, it kind of helps sort of adjust your own bias. Really good tool to just have more information and information is good like i said earlier so yeah i'll i'll get that done hopefully tonight or tomorrow and post it up on the facebook group for the first Nation members make sure you keep an eye out for it that's ultra sweet uh just so people know to join patreon.com slash first strike and i'll end the show by being jealous of vince uh for being a lease fan because they clearly cream the halves in the off season so yes. Mar- marlo was uh, super expensive but overall it's better than what we did which is almost nothing so completely agree congrats <laughs> leafs you have improved significantly again and i think exciting playoff team next season we're coming for you but <laughs> I don't think we'll even well, make not it. Us, yeah, not for us. <laughs> we might not even make it. So Maybe the we'll pens. You can come for the pens. You had more us. points than us last year, so I still have to say it that way. I still want to feel like the underdog. It's been my entire life we've been the underdog. So. If we sign Markov, I think we, get, we have a shot to get back there. We're, we're just as good as last year. We can get them back, and that's it. But the Leafs, really, really excited to see where they go with the rookies, like one year of experience under their belts. Should be an exciting season. We'll see. We'll see. I'm pumped. All right. We'll see you guys next Monday, same time, 9 p.m. Well, or 9.10 um, on this channel. And hopefully a lot of you Friday night where the five of us will be there. Doug, Rob, Vince, me, and Brian Gottlieb himself. So see you guys next time. And uh, leave a thumbs up. Thanks for supporting the show.